Osiris. Hey, this is Robert Walter of Robert Walter's 20th Congress. This podcast is part of the Osiris Podcast Network. Welcome in to episode 74 of the Bluest Tape. I'm Harvey Couch alongside Jeff Kolath. And thanks for joining us as we take our weekly or bi-weekly journey through the live catalog of Widespread Panic. Um, Jeff, I am in a great mood this week. How about you? <laughs> uh, that's great, Harvey. I'm glad you're <laughs> in a great mood. Um, what, what, what has brought about this great mood? Is it the um, change in season? It may be a little bit of that. I mean, I always enjoy Halloween time. Um, as we record this, it is uh, Monday, October 29th. Uh, my wife went out to the movie tonight. She went to go see Halloween with some friends. I got the children to sleep by myself, no problem, which kind of puts me in a good mood. I feel like I'm like, yeah, you know, little got a little strut from that. And um, I'm excited about Halloween. I'm drinking a good beer. I'm listening to good music. I'm talking to my good friend, Jeff. Like I don't know. What else? What else? Do, do I need anything else? I mean, I feel like I'm in a good place. Oh, oh. And also, there's the whole thing about Kentucky football being ranked 11th in the country and potentially in the national championship. And then, you know, the Saints are 6-1 and one at first in the NFC South and the New York Pelicans are off to a great start, four and one. Anthony Davis for MVP, and the Kentucky Wildcats basketball team. Let's not forget about them. You know, top two, three teams in the country. So yeah, I'm feeling good about things right now at this moment. Well, good. Uh, the Badgers have lost three games this season and are terrible. The Packers apparently had a semi mutiny on their hands yesterday when the kick returner decided he was going to do him do, do do for himself and run a ball out of the end zone at the end of the game and then fumbled mm. it and lost Aaron mm. Rodgers a chance and uh yeah so I'm glad I'm just gonna let you talk you sound like you've got a vitamin <laughs> you've got like a b12 shot that's great no, I, I'm just, uh, I'm in a good place right now. So and anyway, and it's, which is good that you're doing all the talking since you're the only one on this next episode. Well, yes. So uh, it um, what what is coming after our little banter here is a uh, an interview I did with um, uh, Ed Rockwell. Ed Rockwell. I'm sorry, I got distracted. Um, yeah, so we go back and talk about the we're as this podcast gets released, the 25th anniversary of the fall 1993 tour, the 14 shows in 14 days in 13 cities um, that I've mentioned a few times on this podcast, and um, Ted, uh, you know, he, he's he's sort of our resident historian here on the podcast, and um, so he provide some perspective and um so lots of good stuff with that but you know we kind of wanted to to set the scene here and we haven't um two of us haven't you know come out and chatted in a while so it's been a 
few weeks since we've released a podcast, so we appreciate your patience as, uh, you know, life gets in the way. But um, but anyway, so we Ted and I talked for quite a while. We picked out quite a bit of music. It was intended to be a single episode, but when I mixed it all down, it was like almost three hours. So I think we're going to split it in half. So this week uh, we will do the first half. And then next week we'll do the second half. And then the week after that, we will conclude um, the project that we started a few weeks ago, which is the classic openers. We covered um, 10, 9, 8, 7, and 6 of our favorite classic openers. So we'll get back to that uh, after we take this little uh, side uh, foray into the fall of 1993. And plus we've got like... I mean, I almost feel like a, you know, like a real podcast because we're going to talk about like timely stuff because Panic just did a Halloween run in Las Vegas. And Jeff, you ordered all of the, the webcasts, right? And watched them. You stayed up late and watched all those. Uh, no, man, I couldn't. I didn't listen to anything all weekend because uh, the show starts so late. And you're so old. I mean, so old. I didn't even but make you're it on 18 innings of baseball the other night. Right, yeah. Uh, I made it through, I think, the 11th inning, and then it was, you know, like one in the morning, and I was like, I think I'm going to go to bed. Um, but you're in central time. I mean, you're, I mean, you could have at least made it to like a couple openers. I mean, for us on the East Coast, it's like a 1230 start. I think maybe I did, but I had used all my listening to Panic in the living room while watching sports cards during the Milwaukee run. So I just decided to uh, sit this one out and just listen to them uh, the next day. How many of those cards do you have? Can... Um, I probably had like three. <laughs> um, Not a lot. Yeah. So I haven't actually listened to much. I listened to a decent amount of uh, the third night. And, um, you know, I, the first couple nights just i mean i watched the set list or didn't watch because i was asleep but you know monitored the set list um and it's the first couple nights were pretty straightforward um and then obviously halloween they you know they get a little a little spooky with things but um i thought that from what i heard from the third night it sounded pretty good but you sort of have a different opinion yeah i just feel i don't know I wasn't there. Maybe I'll listen to it again and I'll feel differently, but it just didn't jump out as a, uh, as a smoke and Halloween show. In my opinion, um, I thought the original songs that they played weren't performed very well. Um, yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. I mean, I, I listened to great. the what the diner was not great. In fact, no, I had- no, <laughs> 103198 diner as a palate cleanser. Like, kind of wiped the bad taste off of my tongue. Um, but, uh, you know, I thought the cover selections were fine, but they were, I don't know, tip the, tiptoe through the tulips. Eh. Drift away. I mean, you're covering an Uncle Cracker covering Dobie Gray. I'm, I just can't. I can't. I can't get behind it, Harvey. I just can't. But, you know, Don't Fear the Reaper was cool. Godzilla rocked. I thought the show started off awesome, but then it kind of went downhill for me. But that's just me. I wasn't there, and my opinion does not count. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it does count. But um, I think uh, I agree. I 
I honestly skipped through most of the first set, like the middle of the first set. Um, I thought that Godzilla was was well played. The Jumpin' Jack Flash was, you know, fine. Um, no sympathy yeah, for the devil. That's no me. sympathy for the devil. And yeah, and the uh, the diner. I mean, I don't, honestly, I listened to like the first minute of it, and I was like, yeah, no, skip. <laughs> <laughs> Like I, it, it, whatever they did over the next thirteen minutes, we're not going to make up for you know the sadness of the first minute. But um, the the Aqualung was, I thought that was pretty good. I'm not a huge tall fan, but that was a pretty good performance. I thought the pigeons. Here comes the judge. Pigeons was was fun, um, and then you know always associated. I mean, I think the four cornered room and slipping in dark, darkness are both a couple of my favorite moments from Halloween's past. And so to see those, those classic war songs back to back was kind of a cool, um, cool bit. And the don't feel the Reaper was well-performed and you know, yeah, I thought it was fun. It was Halloween. How many times can they do this, Jeff, and keep it fresh? It's hard. I I thought uh, the last couple of years I thought were pretty interesting and pretty good. I like the one where they dressed up like uh, characters from the Andy Griffith show. I thought that one was. Of course you would, yeah. Because they, yeah. yeah. It's only my favorite show of all time, but whatever. Uh, Anyways, so yeah, that's current events. Those are good current events we can talk about instead of all the garbage that's happening in the world right now. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's good. And then next week we'll have an election, election day special. Oh man! Just vote. Go out and vote, please, please. Go out and vote. Go vote, please. Just go vote. Um, Even if you think it doesn't matter, just vote. (laughs) You think it doesn't matter? Just read the news every day. Um, So, what's your pop culture recommendation this week, Harvey? Um, You go first. I've got one that this is one of those things where Jeff isn't exactly up to speed on a lot of things, um, but a friend recommended it to me and this has been around for a while. So I'm going to go with uh, the funny or die series. Zach Morris is trash. (laughs) That's good. Which I think, have you seen it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I see like, I don't know if, I mean, I see him on, I guess I followed on Twitter maybe. And so I see like, you know, a little, a couple sentences about some episode and then yeah, Zach Morse is trash, but yeah. it is brilliant. And it honestly, this is from a, somebody who has watched an in just an inordinate amount of saved by the bell in his life. It has made me reconsider Zach Morris. Now how much I reconsider Zach Morris. I don't know, but like he is trash and like the couple of, you know, make the point that he's a bit of a sociopath. So, <laughs> Um, but I've watched some of the episodes and of course he was talking about the one where he pretends to be Jewish so he can go to a baseball game, but like the two, the best one that I, I could, the, the two best ones that I thought of, I don't think they've done these yet is when they does the video yearbook, which is a stupid idea anyway, because do you not understand technology? How, if you had a video yearbook from 19, the class of 93, you would just, you wouldn't even be able to play it anymore. Um, you know, to pay forty dollars to get it converted. You don't have so, a VHS machine, Jeff. I do, I do, but <laughs> I do. um, but 
where he takes the video yearbook of everybody saying who they are and what they do, and he turns it into a dating tape that he sells to boys at other high schools. Oh, and that's the, right. God. The worst. And then the, this is the one, this is on the college years, but it's the time in college when he made Slater feel guilty after Slater found out his real last name was Sanchez. And then he wanted to do a sit-in at the student union, and Zach made him feel guilty because he was going to skip their field trip or skip their ski trip. Like, what a jerk. Like, your best friend supposedly finds out that his, his real last name is Sanchez, and he's got some – identifies as being a Latino now. And again, we always knew that he was a Latino, but we never we ever said it. Anyways, and then he makes him feel terrible about it. So that is, it is brilliant. It is funny. And he is literally trash. He's the worst. Um, okay, well, mine's not nearly that good. But um... – Mine is a new record that came out a couple of weeks ago. And that is um, from, I, I assume that most people that listen to this would know, uh, Phosphorescent. Um, and he's got a new record out, Say La Vie. And um, I really dig it. It's got some some cool stuff. It's definitely in his, um, you know, he's got a sound and it's it's in that vein. But, uh, but I dig I it. So if you haven't. I should check it out. I like him a lot. I love that uh, Willie Nelson record that he did. Yes. Yeah, that was really good. So I'm hoping he gets – he hasn't been out on the road in a while, so I'm hoping he gets out and um, and plays some shows. Maybe go see him. So. I have a uh, brief concert review. Very brief. Yeah, please. But Friday night at Rhodes College here in Memphis, I saw the Sun Ra Orchestra. Ooh. And, uh, shout out to – Good friends John Hughes from the Curb Institute and or John Bass from the Curb Institute and Charles Hughes from the uh, Turley uh, Henry and Lynn Turley Memphis Center for helping bring the orchestra to Memphis for the very first time, and it was part of this larger Jimmy Lunsford Festival um, put on by some really great, conscientious, and awesome community members of our community that are trying to preserve j- the jazz legacy in Memphis and beyond through the story of Jimmy Lunsford. And so they played at Rhodes and it's, there's 10, 10 people in the band, nine musicians, and then a, uh, and then a singer. And the leader of the band is Marshall Allen, who played with Sun Ra since pretty much the fifties. Um, he's 94 years old mm. and he's still out on the ro- road and the dude can blow, man. He is just incredible. And he's doing squonky stuff and they're playing hard bop jazz and they're playing traditional, like, Fletcher Henderson, Jimmy Lunsford, big band style jazz. Like it was just super cool to see that. Um, and hopefully not for the last time. Hopefully they can still keep it going, but 94 years old and out on the road. That's crazy. Um, so anyway, Sun Ra, go see him. And obviously space place and um, all kinds of interesting stuff about Af- Afrofuturism and, and various things that that band has covered and, recorded on and written about and all kinds of things. So can't recommend it enough. Is uh, I don't guess Michael Ray is, was on this tour. He's still yeah, doing stuff crew. with them. I think, right. Michael Ray and the cosmic crew. Yeah. Michael Ray was in, I mean, he played yeah, in yeah. Sun Ra and yeah. I don't know what he's up to. I thought that, I mean, I, my recollection was that he was, you know, he was part of the, you know, mm-hmm. the Sun Ra family that was yeah. continuing to tour, but I guess he, he wasn't at the show. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what Michael Ray looks like. And they didn't oh. announce anybody's name except for Marshall Allen. So, um, 
But yes, if we, well, we'll ask the intern to look that up for us. Okay. So, uh, well, we we should get started with the music. We're splitting it in two. I set yeah. this episode out. Um, yeah, because you hate this tour, but um, I don't hate the tour. I, I I just I believe my I believe my text to you was something like. I really have a hard time listening to these tapes because I don't like how they sound and I won't have much, I won't have anything constructive to add, I think is what I said. I urge <laughs> you to, to listen to the stuff that we picked out. Cause there's some really good stuff. And, and I, I mean, I understand where you're coming from because a lot of these uh, soundboards are a little sterile, but um, some of them are better than others. The Nampa show I think is mixed, mixed a little better than some of the others. And um, so give it another shot. Cause there's some really good playing. Uh, in here so and um i guess the next time we come on essentially the sec i mean i hate to be southern sec biased but you know i mean it's it's the top league in the land the sec championship game is essentially going to be decided by two games this weekend on cbs at 3 30 kentucky georgia for the east division title and LSU Alabama for the West. Do, do you have a uh, predictions to make? Uh, are you getting game day? Uh, no game day will be at the, uh, we have, we're getting sec nation, but uh, oh, um, yeah. um, I'm going to go. Uh, I think you had your scare for the, the, even though you lost, you had your scare for the year against a Missouri, uh, salty Missouri team. So I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go UK. I'm going to mm-hmm. go 20, 24 21 okay and what about the uh the lsu alabama alabama 117 <laughs> uh lsu six really i mean it's in it's in baton it's in death valley it's a you know a night game lsu's you know played pretty well all i do is I, I don't watch alabama play like for more than two minutes this year all i do is i see the stat line and it's like two a. 111 for 15, 390 yards, four touchdowns. Like, yeah, I think I saw that. I think he's had like two or three, three and outs all year. <laughs> but speaking of, so here's the thing. It'll, I be mean, It'll be a fun game. It always is. The, uh, I mean, Kentucky has struggles on offense and I don't, you know, they beating Georgia is going to be a tough task for them, even at home. But, um, I mean, Missouri has a pretty legitimate offense, and Kentucky literally did not allow them to have a first down in the second half. It was eight straight three and outs in the second half. And, I mean, if you, that's going to keep you in pretty much any kind of game except Alabama <laughs> or maybe Clemson. But, I mean, if, you, if you're going to shut down the other team, they haven't allowed more than 20 points in a single game this year. Um, they are legit. And, uh, they are? So, you know, we'll see. Defense wins championships is what they say. You didn't make your picks. Um, oh, I didn't. Was that, did I have to? Oh, I can't, uh, you had I can't to. do that. Um, all right. I'm going to say uh, Alabama 31-17 over LSU and Georgia 17-14 over Kentucky. Oh, I see. I see your psychology there. Yeah, I have to. All right. Well, um, thanks for joining us. Uh, we are going to toss to uh, myself, 
It's kind of weird. And uh, Ted Rockwell to cover the first half of our um, jump back in time, 25 years to the fall of 93. And uh, at some point we'll cut it off and, uh, and shut it down. And then we'll come back uh, next week with the second half. So um, appreciate everybody uh, joining. I hope everybody has a fantastic Halloween trick or treat. And um, yeah, Here's uh here's me and Ted. All right, I'd like to welcome in very good friend of the podcast and uh, patron saint of the Widespread Panic Setlist and all around good guy Ted Rockwell. Ted, how's it going, man? It's going great, Harvey. Thanks for having me back. Uh, appreciate it. Um, and you know, it's it's funny. We have. I'm really excited to talk about what we're going to talk about tonight because this is a this is a, uh, a run of shows that has stuck out to me uh, for a long time. But, um, you know, before we got on, we were talking about, you were talking about the, uh, the first edition of the everyday companion, which was 96 new years. Is that when you handed those out? Yeah, it was 96. published in 1996. Okay. And um, one of the sort of features were these, tour maps that you did you know how many were in there i think in the very first one i've got one in front of me here um i don't know that i did very many i think i might have just done one or two did you sit um, i was thinking maybe sitinski was one well that i think you're thinking of the second edition okay second okay edition. that may have been second okay sorry yeah the second edition has like three or four of them in there but i think this first edition just had one map okay and this was so, it it was yeah. So it was this this run, this tour, and uh, it's one that that I've mentioned on the on this podcast several times, and that is fourteen shows in fourteen days, in fourteen places um, between October twenty first, nineteen ninety three, and November third, nineteen ninety three, and um, so uh, the reason that always stuck out to me was that map in the first Everyday Companion, and um, it's just. It's just amazing to, th- I mean, <laughs> just to think about doing something like that. Um, it's just wild. And then like we were, t- we were, you know, you look before and after this run and it's not like they took a whole bunch of days off <laughs> uh, between September and November of 93. Um, but this was just sort of the, the meat and potatoes of it. And, uh, yeah, and some it's really great shows. It's pretty legendary among the crew that were around at that time. And even now, I think there are several members of the crew that that know about this period. They played 14 shows in 14 days. But if you end up looking back to the beginning of September, they pretty much didn't stop from September 2nd all the way to the end of November. Uh, But the period of time that we're going to be talking about here today uh, runs from uh, October 21st, 1993 through the beginning of November. And they literally play 14 shows in 14 days or 28 shows in 36 days, um, depending on how you look at it. Um, The 14 show run took them across uh, seven states. Uh, Let's see. Nebraska, Colorado, uh, Utah, Wyoming, Montana, two shows in Montana, their first appearance in the big state of Idaho, uh, Washington and Oregon. Um, it, it's just an, an incredible feat. I mean, if you think about what it takes to travel for between these locations, anyone who's driven in the West know that that's, those are long distances we're talking about. 
Yeah, and to not have a day off in between, you know, to see the sights at least. But uh, you know, I guess these guys are all business at this point. Um, well, and what part of what's super incredible is that they play like I think that 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 year. I'm I'm I didn't look at the the calendar to really check this, but I think that Halloween because this this bridge is Halloween. Um, I think the Halloween night ended up being the night before Halloween uh, on the thirtieth. Uh, I think that was the Saturday night, right? It was the 30th, I think. Um, and they just continued right through. They played the 31st in Missoula, then the first in Seattle, and then the second and third in Oregon. Mm-hmm. It's, if you know like what a Halloween show is all about, to, to imagine that they still had three straight dates with travel um, after that, it, it just boggles the mind. The, the other thing that sort of, for me, you know, always kind of stuck out was as like an early tape trader, the, you know, uh, really the Nampa, Missoula, the Jackson and the Lawrence, Kansas, like those shows were like early tapes for me. And they sounded so good because they were really nice soundboards. And so even if it was like a third generation tape, it still sounded pretty good. And so, um, and a lot of, you know, rare versions of songs, you know, they, they kind of dug pretty deep into the songbook in this run. And so it was like, you know, for the longest time, it was the only version of Arlene I ever had on tape. Right. And so, um, that also kind of, I think, helped me wear out those tapes and, and helped uh, make this make this a special run. Yeah, I think that's one of the other interesting parts of this particular set of shows is that they were easily uh, tradable really quickly after this tour. I remember picking up the 30th almost right away. It felt, it felt like I had it you know, within a month maybe of, of the show through Richard Kerlopian, who used to be their um, uh, merch guy, right? yeah. the guy that did like slung t-shirts and stuff. And so a lot of people think in terms of, oh, well, soundboards were available of the 97 run, right? Of the spring 97 run in particular, but this 93 run predated that by a little stretch. And I think kind of set the stage for uh, fans sort of wanting to try to find really good, clean sounding copies of, of some of these shows. And I wonder if that was not compounded by the fact that, you know, what spring 94 was when there was, uh, you know, they weren't letting taping, right. It was my recollection was early 94. There was no taping. And then, you know, when they came back, it was pretty much no, you know, no soundboards. And so to get, you know, this was like, you know, to get a good sounding tape, this was your, you know, this is where you go get them. And, uh, so, yeah. uh, so the map that we did in the Everyday Companion, by the way, I just want to give a shout out. It, it was an idea that was brought to us by a guy named Dave Bridell. And he was a uh, old time fan who had seen them back in the like late 80s um, from New York and, and saw him in Colorado, had made introductions between them and, and a series of other artists in, in the Colorado area. Um, and was a, just a kind of an interesting character. And when we first started doing this project, he was on Spreadnet and he, he struck up a kind of a friendship with me online and over the phone and suggested this. He's like, you know, what'd be really interesting is if you did some of these maps. And so in, in, if you, anyone who has a first edition, there's not many of them out there. So you probably can't check, but if you do have one, you can check in the binding of this particular map. And it says, this one's for you, Dave. Hmm. And that's specifically for Mr. Dave Bridell. 
Um, the other thing that is on the map that people, you know, if you don't have a book, wouldn't be able to see is a little something that I wrote that I, I'm just going to read now, which is imagine, you know, this is, this is written next to a map of the United States with um, all of these dates, um, uh, the numbers of the dates kind of spread out all over the country. And it says, imagine riding in a bus with five other guys and a road crew for over a month playing nearly every single night. Now imagine the relief that you'd feel when you saw Atlanta's lights growing a little sharper. Remarkably, the members of Widespread Panic played some of their most infamous shows to date on this grueling tour. And I would say that that still stands today. Yeah. And um, now that's good stuff. And such a great, like the swing back from, from the West coast, um, you know, through Texas and New Orleans and Jackson. I mean, that is a really, there's some really inspired playing there in like late November, 93. Um, so I, I want to just, because you brought that up, I, I have my trusty touring companion, um, I don't know how many of those there are hanging around. I, I bought this one at like a head shop in Boulder, Colorado in 2000. Um, so the, the little, little description I assume you put in under the, the 1021 show is uh, the start of the infamous 14 shows and 14 days tour. Many think that these shows are quintessential panic in scale and quality of performance. Also notable is that even though the soundboard patches were a thing of the past, soundboard copies of these shows were almost immediately available to the taping community. In contrast, by by spring 1994, soundboard copies of recent shows were much harder to find. In fact, audience taping was banned in many venues during the spring 94 tour. And you've got, you've got three uh, grade A choices. <laughs> yeah. Those are, uh, that's great, man. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I hold on to the storing companion is a, is a nice thing to have. I actually have a few of those. I've got a, probably a box of those in my, in my shed right now. Um, they didn't, they didn't really sell it. Did you get it at albums on the Hill? Maybe the, it was in Boulder. It was somewhere. It was probably at a record. It was either record store or head shop <laughs> in Boulder. And uh, it was summer of 2000, I guess, after the Red Rock shows. Oh, right on. Well, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely, this is one of those that, you know, I would, when Gary Vereen was still around, I talked to him about, and he had very fond memories of it, but at the same time, it was, it was a slog. I think that they, they hurt themselves a little bit on this tour and realized that maybe that would, they hit it a little too hard in a way. And um, you'll notice that their, their tours as they move forward in 94, 95, 96 become much more um, reasonable. Concise. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, cool. So, uh, we worked together to pick up some, uh, to pick out some music to, uh, to play this week. And, uh, we've got five selections from, uh, five different shows from these, uh, 14. And, um, we played a few passages, uh, on the podcast earlier from, uh, from these runs. I think we had done something from the Nampa show and let's see if I can pull up my, so we had done, uh, yeah, we did something from the Lawrence show and something from the Nampa show and then something from the Halloween show, but, um, no repeats this week, but, uh, but some good stuff nonetheless. So, um, to, uh, to start things off, we're going to go with the first show of the tour and that is from the, uh, the Liberty hall in Lawrence, Kansas. And, uh, that is October 21st, 1993. And, um, 
we uh let's see where it's a two set show and that's the other thing that's sort of interesting like you know some of these shows are two setters and some of them are one setters i guess maybe that's more a uh, constraint of the venue maybe or curfews or things like that um but this first show is a two-setter and um we're gonna pick things up uh about halfway through the second set for uh a, a gnarly little run here this song's called diner
surely that And she's cooking in the diner today No, so I won't show the bother The time she gets covered in blues For I sing comic songs Trying to fame myself Oh, she likes natural music And it weighs
my eyes won't pretend I didn't know you were close But I could smell your breath Through a freshly painted door Standing in your coat While I pour three more glasses Of burgundy And you collect the dust from my bottle Stand there 
October 21st, 1993, the first night of the 14-show and 14-day run, uh, you heard Diner into Mercy into Chili Water uh, smack dab in the middle of the second set, which is, you know, there's a lot of other really good stuff going on in this set, too. You have a a Get Up Early in the Morning opener um, and Hatfield Jr. Pigeons before this run, and then after this, you get Just Kiss My Baby, Port Song, and uh, a pretty rare don't be denied, which is a little sloppy, but you know, a for effort. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think what, what's going on, this is the first time they played it since uh, May when they were at Phil- in Philadelphia um, at the theater of the living arts, which if you've never heard that show, you should definitely seek it out and check it out. It's, it's a really fun show. Uh, Five nineteen ninety three. Um, after they play this, don't be denied here on 10, 21, 93 in, in uh, Kansas, they put it on the shelf for two years. They don't bring it back until spring tour 95. Um, and then they don't, they only play it one time in 95, one time in 96, one time in 97. So they're not feeling super comfortable with this song. And I think that they, they realize it and it gets shelved later on. Of course, it becomes this anthem that I think a lot of fans just have assumed has always been a part of the repertoire. But when you, when you kind of look at this period of time, they're just barely bringing it out every few years. In 93, they brought it back. It was the first time in five years they'd brought it back. It, it seemed like this, um, you know, I mean, they, they really did a pretty good job in this run of, of you know, at least one, maybe two or three songs a night, you know, digging deeper into the catalog. I mean, or my right, you know, I, I don't, you might know better, but it seemed like, 
you know, spring, summer, 93, like the, the, things had gotten pretty, you know, dialed in as far as set lists go. They, they weren't, you know, it wasn't like it became later where they were really um, getting, you know, lots of variety and lots of, you know, um, special type bust out type songs, which didn't seem as common except maybe in this little run here. Yeah. Well, in the, I think one thing to keep in mind is that they, they were busting out new songs earlier in the year. And so there was a lot of, I think there were, you know, like little Ken came out for the first time in 93. Like a lot of the eight life grand tracks, right? I mean, those are getting the settling into the catalog for sure. Yeah. And so I think that that's part of what's going on is as, as the year progressed, they found themselves feeling more comfortable to spread out a little bit and pull some of these other, you know, songs they hadn't played in a while back into the repertoire. It was like they, they, you know, they pounded every day pretty hard, you know, for a couple, you know, a couple of years, really 92, 93, those tracks were getting played pretty, you know, I would say almost every night. And then you got sort of the same thing as these, uh, ain't life grand tracks came out, but it was like, at that point, they felt like they could start getting deeper. I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that stuck out to me about the music that we just heard, uh, is am I crazy to like these like shorter diners? I mean, I know everybody is like loves, I don't love diner, you know, don't get me wrong. I won't turn away a 15 minute diner, but like, it's just something about the shorter, like, you know, eight, nine earlier diners. It's like, I mean, Hauser makes every second of that solo count. Right. I mean, there is literally nothing wasted. And, um, I don't know. I just, there's something about that that I always really dig. Yeah. Well, and mercy doesn't go on for like forever. I mean, it's, <laughs> it is a fairly concise mercy as well. Um, and, and it allows one of the things I love about this particular version of mercy into Chile is the way that, um, Hauser's tone is just on point. He makes that transition and it's, there's no fuss, there's no muss, but there is no denying that he is in control of that song as they turn in Chile. It's beautiful. It's a really a thing to behold. And I think it's something that we're currently missing with some modern panic. There's a lot of noodling at the beginning mm-hmm. of Chili Water. And mm-hmm. this is just straight up Michael Hauser swirling sound. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, nothing against the the big, you know, uh, a sort of uh, a chili that stands without a, uh, you know, not coming out of something where it's just sort of got, you know, maybe more of a drums bass intro, but man, when they, when they segue into it and it's, it's all Hauser, that is my kind of chili. You know what I mean? When it just hits it full steam right as it starts is that's some of my favorite panic moments. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So, uh, the next thing we're going to play is from ten twenty six. is that is, uh, in Vail, Colorado. So we're, we're skipping two nights at the Fox theater in Boulder and then, um, a show at the Colorado state student center in Fort Collins. Um, anything you want to share about the stuff that were, you know, any, any moments that stick out to you on the, the shows that we're skipping here? Yeah. You know, um, the Fox theater shows are really awesome. Um, I would check out that second show for, for real. That is 10, Fox theater is, some crazy stuff. I mean, you just look at the set list alone and they play pretty much anything you would want to hear on a given night, maybe with the exception of diner. Um, (laughs) But they, they play that too in the middle of the first set. I mean, 
just read out loud yourself. I won't do it for you because you need to go and take a look at it. Read out loud to your spouse or significant other or someone who appreciates widespread panic and read this set list to them and they will fall in love with you and want to go to dinner with you. It's a thing of beauty, a three song encore. Um, Stop, go tie your shoes. I mean, the pairings are ridiculous. So um, highly recommended. Definitely check it out. There was just too much music to actually share here. So just take the whole show, listen to the whole thing. Now I'm I'm looking at the uh, at like my big archive drive, and it it doesn't look like either of these Boulder shows are soundboards, unless unless I'm missing you know something that had come out more recently. But I don't think look- there are soundboards of them. Although I I've heard that um, Mr. Richard Kerlopian has um, has this stuff, but but it's been a long time since I've tried to harass him about that. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, cause it's like, that's just, it's sort of a gaping hole in, you know, an otherwise really pretty run of soundboard, 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 soundboard. So yeah. uh, maybe one day, I think but, yeah, at least that second night. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, you know, there were, there were good friends here in Boulder um, that, you know, li- like um, Tom Farrell and Nicola Farrell were living here in Boulder and Bob Cohn, um, a bunch of people that, that, um, we're all at UGA at the same time that the band was forming. And so this two night run, I think for a lot of people marked sort of a, like, Oh my gosh, these guys are really, you know, going for it. They'd been to Boulder before, but having a two night run was especially special for them. Um, I'm not sure if that factored into whether or not there was a soundboard or not. Cause Tom was a, a well-known taper and they may have like really kept him away from the soundboard. <laughs> um, I'm just making that up. I don't know that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're just audiences of these. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm glad that we're doing this, but it seems like, uh, I mean, man, this is maybe sort of a larger philosophical question for, for the band and Brown cat, but it's like, it seems like a run like this is sort of prime for a, you know, maybe not a, you know, a, a Europe 72 grateful dead box set, but like, you know, uh, a nice mix of, you know, three or four CD kind of, you know, highlights of a couple week run. Um, if not this one, then other ones like that, whether it's sit and ski or, or just tours. Um, do, do you have any sense of whether that's something that, I mean, I'm not like not talking just sort of as a fan, do you have a sense for whether that would be something that you think that the, the band should do? I really honestly think that there's, there's a lot of opportunity for that kind of thing. Um, I've long thought that, um, maybe, maybe I should take it on the chin and, and, um, take it, you know, put it on my shoulders to like start a project where, um, we do like, uh, like, a uh, recollection of, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know how they, they, they'll, you'll do like, uh, you know, people will do these things, uh, these, uh, oral histories of, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the guys that were around, a lot of the crew are, you know, they're getting older. A few of them aren't around anymore. And, you know, the stuff that they had to do to pull this off had to have been just incredible. And so in any case, I, I would be interested in it. Now I'm just one nerd. Um, but I I do. There are a lot of us, Ted. They're not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and there's, you know, I think that there's something to be said. These kinds of tours are, are pretty amazing in that, you know, they were happening in a pre-internet age too. And so there's, there's a story to be told there. 
these days it's kind of it's it's a different kind of touring not even outside of the widespread panic you're just a basic band trying to get out on the road because you have a lot more help from the internet to be able to get in touch with people in various places with this it was all call before you haul oh, yeah. you just showing up at places you mentioned in the previous um uh, uh section of this that um, they played some one set shows and in our break i mentioned that i think that's because they had openers and mm-hmm. think about that for a second modern panic fans these guys were out on the road pl- pl- you know working their balls off and they had openers <laughs> you know like there was no like oh this is a two setter with an encore they they were on and off the stage because they already had a guy on stage for an hour and a half before them mhm yeah, and there's a great uh, – there's some really fantastic Gary, uh, Gary-isms Gary in this run, and probably my favorite of all time we're going to play in a little bit. But the end of the uh, Nampa show before the Halloween show in Missoula, he's basically like, you know, we're going up to some college in uh, Montana, and, you know, it's Halloween, so you might want to call up there before you go because I don't know if there are going to be any tickets left. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is great. Yeah, there was a lot of that. I mean, it, I remember, well, I mean, this is a few years later, but when they did sit and ski, I happened to be in possession of the phone numbers for each one of the venues. And I was fed that by Browncat, by someone from the office. And that ended up, I ended up with people calling me at my house, leaving messages on my, my answering machine saying, hey, man, I need to get those numbers because, you know, uh, it was a much, much different situation back in the day. Yeah, for sure. So, um, okay, cool. So then, uh, so 10, we, we played 1021 Lawrence and then they go to Manhattan, Manhattan, Kansas, two nights in Boulder and then Fort Collins. And then after that, they land at the beautiful Radisson ballroom in Vail, Colorado. Have you ever spent any time at the Radisson and Vail? Yeah, I've been there before. Um, you know, it's just a ballroom. There's nothing Uh special. Um, (laughs) you know, it is, it's, it's what you would have, no, it is Vail. Um, but you know, Vail's basically, it's a nice ski resort, but it's right on the side of the highway. It's not like, you know, you're out. Jackson Hole has a different vibe to it entirely because you are in the middle of nowhere. Um, but with Vail, you're, you know, kind of right there in a hotel ballroom. Um, it, it's remarkable to think that, you know, the band played this show there. Um, but I know people who were there. Um, a good friend of mine, Kevin Teal, who still lives here in Colorado, lives up in Longmont. Uh, mortgage broker helped me with my mortgage here for my house. Um, he, he was there. I I think he was living in Vail at the time. Um, it's, it's one of these shows that, you know, once they played this, they pretty much had to come back to Vail at some point. Um, uh, you know, luckily for the local fans, they were able to do that for a few years, but after 97, it was, the the venues were too small for them to be able to pull off. Hmm. So, um, it was it was hard to to pick a a section to play because there's so much good stuff. And you said that this was a this was a Gary birthday show. Yes, the ten twenty six is um, Gary's birthday, and Gary Vereen, um, obviously an important figure in in uh, the you know the band's career, and and usually on his birthday, as I understand it, I, I witnessed this on two different occasions. He essentially wrote most of the set list um, or at least had a few um, re- uh, you know requests that made it in so I think that's part of what's going on here if you end up listening to the show and again this is one of these that I would highly recommend listening to 
all of it, but particularly the second set, you should listen to the end, <laughs> the very end of the encore, because Gary has t- very, very um, obviously had a few uh, birthday cocktails. And <laughs> thanks everyone for coming to his birthday party. And it's great to see y'all. Like he is just in rare form, and it's really a beautiful thing to behold for sure. Um, there were a lot of things we could have picked from this, in particular, deep in the second set, the Ain't No Use, Time Is Free Jam. It's the first time the band pulled Time Is Free into their repertoire at all. This is a jam. They don't actually sing any of the lyrics, um, but it's notable because of that. Um, it's it's a pretty good passage, but you'll see later why we didn't actually play that particular passage. Um, one thing I'll note is, it ain't no use for me is one of those songs that I think, you know, the the band is pretty much on fire if they're playing that song. It is, it's a very heady song um, and it shows their roots. It's a deep cut from the meters um, and they really kind of created their own thing with it. Um, Instead um, we're, we're going with the very, very beginning of this show. Um, A of D into love tractor which is a SIG that was relatively common back in the day, but I don't think they do much anymore. Yeah, no, and it's a, it's a really good one. And, you know, re- coming off of uh, last week when we talked about some of our favorite openers, um, Jeff, Jeff made the A of D pick. So uh, it's cool to follow that one up from, uh, from one from back in, uh, in 93. So um, we'll, uh, we'll go to, the uh, the Radisson Ballroom in Vail, Colorado, to celebrate Gary Vereen's birthday, kick things off on uh, 
Baby, I will, will 
All right, 1026.93, you heard the opener, A of D, Love Tractor, and then a little bit further into the first set, uh, the Meters Classic, Just Kiss My Baby, with the other Meters Classic, the Sissy Strut Jam, uh, during Just Kiss My Baby, which is a, uh, a welcome appearance, you know, welcome uh, interlude in the 92-93. Do you know when the last time they did that was? It was sort of, sort of, yeah. Huh. That's a good question. I'm not sure. Um, Come on, Ted. You don't have all this stuff memorized. <laughs> you Let's see. Someone yeah. <laughs> Is there some some dude put up? Uh, it looks like actually uh, looking at the Everyday Companion, eleven twenty two ninety three at Tipitinas, um, which is sort of fitting. Uh, yeah, about three weeks after this, uh, just because my baby was sissy start. It actually had a sissy start and a night people rap uh so a little uh, meters in alan toussaint and then it did uh show up in 2010 10 13 10 there's a sissy strut jam during just kiss my baby so um but as far as hauser era this was the second to last time yeah. it was a pretty standard in 92 it seemed like and then yeah my first show i i, I had a, a just kiss my baby with a sissy strut and i had a junko partner believe it or not Mm. Um, must have been feeling in new orleans that 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 show yeah you know for those folks at home who you know know the everyday companion but may not know where to find this down the left hand side there's part way down there's this thing called raps slash teases slash jams and we list things like sissy strut so you can search the play the page for sissy strut and it'll tell you you know all the times that we list it in the notes um, and you know, if we can go a little meta on everyday companion, um, and not to, you know, put you on the spot or to be anything less than grateful for what you have done, but have, have you, have you had any thoughts or, you know, conversations or motivations to, to do any sort of, uh, update or refresh or, you know, redesign of the, of the website? What are you saying, Harvey? <laughs> I no, no. <laughs> No, we, yeah, we totally have, and we've had many starts and stops, and it's, it's, um, yeah. I'm sure it is a Herculean effort to, you know, to do anything on, at that scale, but I just, you know, I was just curious. No, no, totally, and and honestly, I'm I'm totally joking around. <laughs> it's it is what it is for a reason. I think part of what happens is I. I end up talking to people who know their stuff when it comes to creating databases and creating relational um, databases in particular. And Mm -hmm. they initially are like, Oh yeah, totally. I got this. And they start getting into the actual stats and they realize, Oh, well shit. Um, There's a lot here. Um, And there isn't an easy port. What we were hoping for, what I was hoping for was being able to take the database in its current form and being able to just port it over into something like MySQL. And that, while it's possible, highly manual process will take many, 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 many hours. And um, like we're talking probably hundreds of hours. And so it would be like starting over in a way, um, which isn't necessarily a problem. It's just, I don't, I don't really have that skill. I mean, I could probably figure it out, but Having said that, I, don't, I definitely don't have the time. And uh, without finding someone who's willing to do it for free or um, finding uh, enough bandwidth to maybe do like a GoFundMe and 
you know, raise a couple, $20,000, something like Mm -hmm. that. It's probably going to be in this current form for a while um, (laughs) to come. Um, But we'll see, you know, I, I keep threatening to try to, to tackle it at some point. Um, It's a very, the site is very 1.0. It's it's a web 1.0 kind of endeavor Mm -hmm. for a reason. Uh, We specifically have not sold advertising here. Um, this, it's a choice. That's not something that's by virtue of, we haven't thought of it. Um, (laughs) you know, we live in an age where there's advertising everywhere and Mm -hmm. this is truly a a project that without the fans wouldn't have happened. And I don't feel like, um, it's my place to take what has happened here and, and really sell it. Having said that, the day may come um, because there is a real demand for it. And I think a lot of newer fans don't really recognize what that ethic of 1.0 really is all about. Um, right. And so, yeah, cause I mean, cause you know, some older heads or, you know, it has sort of a, you know, a je ne sais quoi, right. Of like, you know, it's kind of like how panic should be, you know, it doesn't need to be all flashy and fancy. It's just, you know, just the facts. Right. But, um, but then you see, you know, you, you go see, uh, you look at other ones. I mean, I, Jeff and I talked a while ago about the DMB Almanac. I don't know if you've ever looked at that one, but I mean, it's just like, you just talk about like falling into um, wormholes of data, you know, and, uh, but in, in some ways it's sort of like, you know, it's a little classier. It just, yeah, just simple. Just show me the set list. Yeah. I mean, part of, part of what I've, I've wanted to try to figure out how to do is, is have more than just one or two people have access to be able to help keep it up to date. Mm-hmm. And that that's a real struggle in its current format. And so um, I think that we may reach a point here um, where that may become a necessity or we've got to really open it up because um, it would be nice. I mean, people get in touch all the time and, and their heart's in the right place, but they point out that, hey, your lyrics are out of date or, hey, I, I found this stuff that is, you know, not quite right. And they're absolutely right. And, you know, we, we would want to try to make it as accurate as possible, but at the same time, there are limitations to what we can really do there. And right. um, if it could be more of a co-op, you know, sort of a wiki, more of a cooperative, you know, uh, web, web, is that web 3.0 or I don't know what, what version are we on, but yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that might be a better uh, solution, but I, I get that the road there is a, uh, treacherous it is treacherous and you know i think part of it for me is is making sure that um the ethic really here is that this is a marathon not a sprint Uh, and that's that's something i think has been very difficult for some folks to understand is that you know we've we've been doing this for 23 years (laughs) and it's it's a 23 year project um this would not have happened in two years this this is truly something that needs to take time and um there's something that's okay about that it it doesn't have to be instantaneous to be useful and good well said sir good answer good answer (laughs) um (laughs) all right so uh digression aside we uh we're gonna jump ahead a couple a couple nights so uh after this veil show they go to um salt lake city to the salt air pavilion 
uh, a one set show, which everyday companion notes that my sister Jane opened. So, uh, that, that follows into your, uh, your one set with an opener. And then, uh, the next night in Bozeman, Montana, uh, at the cat's paw, 102893. And then that brings us to our next segment, which is uh, in Jackson, Wyoming at the Snow King Center uh, on October 29th, 93. Um, this was definitely a show that was in heavy rotation uh, in my collection early on. And uh, because of some really great songs and some some you know somewhat rarities, obviously uh, the biggest one being uh, the Arlene mid-set uh, Ain't No Use Arlene makes sense to me. And uh, I think that was probably the only copy of Arlene that I had, you know, for a long time until, you know, maybe some later 95 shows. Yeah. I mean, I, I got really lucky and happened to be at the May 6th, 1993 show earlier this year in Chicago at the Vic, um, where they played Arlene for the first time in three years. And what was that experience? I mean, was that experience like, like, holy shit, this song seems really fun or just like what's going on, you know? Yeah. I mean, this was at a moment that like 93, so May of 93, I'd seen them, I think two or three times at that point. And so the whole thing was a giant, um, experience. You know what I mean? Like I knew a few of the songs and then there were other songs I just didn't know at all. And I mean, this was in the day before Everyday Companion. This was in the days before um, massive tape trading or any of that. So it was a discovery process. I don't really recall how I was feeling when Arlene happened. Um, I, I do kind of recall it going on, but you know, there was no notion that there was some major you know, bust out happening sure. or anything like that. It's not like the crowd was like, Oh my God. You know, <laughs> it just, you know, it was a panic show. Um, the thing that was most, I think memorable for me about this show was of five, six, 93 was, um, we, we ended up in a box up above the stage on the left-hand side and they p- pulled out these sheets and th- a drop cloth and threw them over Todd's kit. And he played dream song through those, that drop cloth and it blew my mind. I was like, Oh my God, that's how he's getting that sound, you know? Um, but in any case, Arlene shows up, um, at this show on 10, 29, 93 for only the second time in 93. And for, you know, the second time in three and a half years or something like that. And then they don't play it again until November of 94, and then from there, they don't play it again until May of 95. So this is a super rarity at this point. Uh, most people probably have no idea what this song is. Um, and so it's it's kind of a unique um, thing to go check out. So um, even though we're not going to be playing that here in this segment, I strongly recommend you checking it out, partly because it's Ain't No Use into Arlene. <laughs> so again, Ain't No Use as a, a great leaping off point uh, for a great panic expedition yeah and i would almost think like as a you know if if i'm there at this show it's almost like arlene is just like some you know wicked ain't no use jam <laughs> you know what i mean like at, at that point has been such sort of a yeah a jumping off of that and you're just not even sure what's happening at that point yeah it's like a jb jb rap at this point right i mean that's right. part of 
part of the appeal of Panic during this period is just how JB could take over and improvise on the lyrics and turn a jam into what feels like a song when in fact it's just JB goofing off. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com. Hey. 